Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The best things happen after dark. Nightclubs are the ultimate space for self-expression, escape, music, socializing, and forgetting for a moment the outside world. They're a place to discover ourselves, find new friends, and fall in love. As humans, we like to dance to a beat, and there's nothing like a good night out. I'm Jody Harsh. I'm a DJ, producer, and occasional club promoter. I know how to tear up a dance floor, and for this podcast, I want to explore with my guests how club culture and going out has shaped their identities and informed their work. I've got us the guest list and cue jump sorted, so we'll delve right into the hazy memory banks and hit the floor. This is Life of the Party. My guest this week is a pioneer. He's from the first generation of superstar DJs. He's been the go-to guy for floor-filling tunes for decades, a key player in Britain's tapestry of club culture, and he's royalty within Cool Britannia. He's a true scientist when it comes to music production and an encyclopedia of musical knowledge. He's played music to people everywhere, and I really mean everywhere. Norman Cook, AKA Fatboy Slim, this is your life of the party. Well, with an introduction like that, I can only disappoint, really. Oh, no, I pride myself on my introductions. <laughs> How's it going? You okay? Yeah, good, good. What should I call you? Should I call you Norman? My friends call me Norman, yeah. Do you think it's important to have a, a stage name and a persona for you? Does it sort of help you perform, almost like armour or something? Yeah, it's not so much armour. It's more just having a, uh, a demarcation of, of what is real and what is fantasy. Mm. Because mm. obviously DJ and I try and take people into the fantasy world, so I kind of go into that world myself, uh, which over the years is, is uh, involved kind of stimulants and, and there's kind of things that you don't really want as baggage in your normal life. Mm. Uh, and and earlier in my career, it was quite, I didn't quite know sometimes where Fatboy Slim ended and Norman began. Mm. But as Norman became a father and a husband and things like that, it's kind of like it, it we for just for self-preservation it was good to have a demarcation between where when i was norman i acted like a responsible member of society and when i was fat boy i could i had carte blanche to do whatever i wanted totally i can totally relate so the difference between fat boy slim and norman is like vast these days yeah yeah Yeah. and ever, ever wider as my life goes on yeah interesting um now, is it true? I'm just going to throw a fact at you. Is it true that you have the Guinness Book of Records title of the most aliases, leading on from that theme of like the difference between Norman and Fatboy Slim? Yeah, I mean, different different reasons, but um, yeah. As for, last time I checked, I had the m- most top forty hits under different names, which I think is a sort of celebration of some kind of schizophrenia. Yeah. What was that cartoon uh, years ago where the guy goes in the phone box and comes out as a different a different character, a different look? Do you remember that? Yeah, but the thing is, I mean, uh, through most of my career, though, they weren't as marked as, as, as me putting on my going-to-work clothes. It was just meant, it just meant I could do different kinds of music. I could, do, you know, I, I, I kind of had so much going on in my head. It was like, 
one act wasn't enough to to kind of uh, um, satisfy all my sort of urges. So I kind of had like a house guys and a, yeah. and, a, and a pop guys and it's just in the old days before internet. You could get away with having aliases, and no one actually really knew it was you. Totally, sell tickets into the same venue and <laughs> the same yeah. weekend. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I've been booked on the same bill as myself. Have that, you that really? Has had, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's genius. But um, yeah, and, and also, but I mean, also, don't forget, my career has been seventy-three years I now. Know. So obviously, over the years, I've got I've got through a few different personas. Yeah, I want to take you back to the very, very beginning. So. Um, your first ever parties as a child. Do you remember like a birthday party growing up? Like, were you bitten by a party bug really young? Not really, no. I was bitten by the music bug really young. Mm. I can remember a moment when I was about, I actually worked it out from the years. I was been eight years old and the Osmonds came to town and they were like on the news and everything. It was it was right at the height of Osman mania, which you probably too young to, to fathom. I'm that. 21. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> imagine, you know, uh, you know the latest boy band arrives in town and they're they're playing at Wembley and whatever and I saw Donny Osmond he had he had a leather jacket with his name written in studs on the back and he had a piano with light bulbs all over it that lit up when he played and my eight-year-old self just went that's what I want I want a piece of that right and so um so it was more about wanting to be a musician and wanting to be in the in the you know pop star I suppose for, mm. for want of a better word it was more about that than the partying yeah in those days, we that always, came first. We always sort of in control of the car radio and stuff. Like, where where did DJ come coming into this? The DJ bit came from the fact that again, before your time, before the internet, you to, in order to hear records at a party, someone had to physically bring the records along. And I was because of my love of music, I I was the only one who had all the records. Mm. So if you wanted to hear all of them, you had to invite me to the party, and I'd bring my little box of records. And um, and one, but. It being teenage parties, the the records would invariably end up covered in vomit and cigarette butts, yeah, and left all over the floor. So one one girl invited me to a party and said, and I said, do you want me or you know or, or just my records? And she went, well, kind of the records. And yeah. I went, you know what? I don't want to bring the records and and explain why. And she said, she had the parents had a bit of money. She said, what if my dad hires these like double decks and kind of you you're in charge of the records and you DJ? Yeah. And I've said, all right, I'll try it out. And something very, very, very big happened that night. Yeah. I discovered that I get a real kick from actually playing my favourite records to other people. So was that your and, first time on set of Technics? Uh, oh, Chris, this is way before Technics. Oh. This is this would be... Hold on. Was this uh, on the gramophone you were talking about? This would have been yeah. on a, a wind-up gramophone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it was... They were like Garrard belt drive things. They, they used to have these uh, consoles called Citronic Thames 2 which right. is just basically it's a big lump of wood right with two two old belt driven record players and a little mixer in the middle and uh yeah so uh, everyone just used to hire that out when to, and then hire me to be the DJ right and i just yeah that was when that was when the kind of the party lust wanting to be the DJ bit of it kicked in Got and it. that must have been when i was about 15 okay and then do you remember walking onto a dance floor for the first time and that and how that felt? Like what was the first club you ever walked into? Uh the first club I ever walked into was a club in Brighton called Sherry's. Right. Which uh was it was kind of um a Wednesday night at Sherry's was like the huge new romantic event on the south coast. And I was living in Red Hill at the time. And so we would get we would go all the way down, drive all the way down to Brighton for it. 
and that's probably that's the reason I ended up in Brighton basically was that those right. Wednesday nights but I remember the first time I got in and um walked across the, the, the dance floor. it's a dance it's the club that was in in Quadrophenia okay where the guy jumps off the balcony really big club but yeah. they gave it up to to the new romantics on Wednesday nights right. and they would play like sort of new romantic music and David Bowie and really early electro and would any of the London uh, lot come funk. down like any of the new yeah, romantic yeah 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 all kind of Steve Strange and Boy George. It was kind of like their, their sort of the Wednesday night thing was hop down to Brighton. Right. And yeah, I mean, I still remember to this day just, you know, just walking across the dance floor and just feeling the music. Yeah. Hearing crazy music I'd never heard before. Yeah. Because again, pre-internet, club music, you only only ever heard it if you went to clubs. Yeah. So would you follow DJs around to hear new music then with a specific DJs? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and that that really took it to a next level for me before it was kind of um just me playing my favorite me- records to mates well i used to do weddings and and when i was at sixth form college do weddings and like you know cricket club discos and stuff like that but when i heard a dj actually mixing like properly like beat matching uh it took it into a whole new again that kicked it into the next phase of you know club djing and getting into the sort of creative side of dj rather than just the pure enjoyment of playing records to people the, the, yeah. the art of mixing so you were 15 at this point well by now i'm 18 right you know isn't your daughter isn't your daughter the new superstar dj she's the next gen yeah we we did a little um stream together or maybe well she did a stream and it got like eight million views freaked me out because i thought in my 37 year career I've 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 travelled all around the world. I've never played to that many people in my whole career. If you put them put every gig I've done back to back, that would be nowhere near that. I, just, I think about all the times I wasted in hotel rooms and airports and wherever. I should have just stayed at home with my daughter and done it. And she let her do it. How does that make you feel, Norman? <laughs> uh, on one on one half, very proud, and the other no. It yeah. was it was a great. It was a it was one of those things that could have only happened during lockdown. It was just a moment, and she's she's been. Uh, watching me DJ all my life and I just she just started learning and I was just they asked me to do a, a podcast for uh, a, a stream for uh, Camp Festival and it was going to be it was going to be my daughter's first festival and she to get over the disappointment of her not going to her first festival this year I just thought oh well we'll have a bit of fun with her DJ yeah how old is she 10 nice not club age yet you can't start sending her out after lockdown just yet well, obviously, with with uh, me as a dad, she's kind of she's been she's had experience of, uh, of of nightlife. We've just come back from Ibiza, and she loves going to Mambo. She comes into the DJ. She actually played a few tunes with me in Mambo this summer. Amazing! And and she got to go to Ibiza Rocks this year as well. Special dispensation. That's amazing. So yeah, so yeah, she's probably more clued up about clubbing than most most of your average ten year old. Yeah, can you be my dad? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> You've had, um, I mean, a colourful career. What's what's uh, what DJ sets have really stood out of be- as being like the most memorable? I don't know, just weird, just weird, random ones. Uh, just a, the, I, it seems like the the longer I play to a smaller audience, the more memorable it is for me. Which is it's a bit perverted because mm. you would have most people think oh you know like Brighton Beach or mm. Glastonbury or something like that but those big gigs for me they're kind of they're more like work mm. and you can't you know what it's like you don't take risks mm. when you've got a really big crowd you only play the favourites totally so the bigger the crowd 
the less you're really th- having fun and thinking about what you're doing mm. and you're just concentrating on not cocking it up yeah and so my most memorable uh, I, I don't know playing for four hours at Pikes right to, yeah to like 300 people yeah. you know uh, and that's where that's really where I go on a journey totally with them and I don't feel like it's just me standing there showing off it becomes a, a it becomes a, a journey that we we go on together that sort of intimate venue is still important for you to be be a part of absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's when I had my fun I, the other the other bit I, I just do to pay the rent yeah got it, got it. <laughs> but you play like the have you played the Great Wall of China or something ridiculous like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is left to tick off? Is there anywhere that you really, really want to play that is just that hasn't happened just yet? Uh, the only one really on my bucket list, someone pointed out the other day that for someone who wears, wears so many Hawaiian shirts as I do, I've never played in Hawaii. Oh, no. But I think that's the that's the only one. But the thing is, with most of the... There are things on my bucket list nowadays I didn't realise were on the bucket list and someone, until someone points it out. Mm-hmm. Some, till someone says, oh, do you want to play an Olympic closing ceremony or, uh, you know, a, a, a toilet here, you know. So um, I haven't got a list as such, but when things crop up that I've never done it before, for me, that's kind of, that's reason yeah. enough to do it. The one, that, the show that you did that I really wanted to, really wish I could have been at, which I think was quite a long time ago, was you and our band Van Helden, the boxing ring. Right, yeah. That is the stuff of legend. Yeah, that was... That was, uh, yeah, to this day, I'm quite proud of that because in terms of... Brixton Academy. Yeah, Yeah. we did two nights at Brixton and one in somewhere in Stoke-on-Trent. Right. Um, But yeah, that was was born out of uh, wanting to do the boutique, the the Big Beat Boutique, which is my kind of home club, wanting to do our sort of third birthday party. And we had Armand booked to play and he'd just gone to number one that week and... I just had my first number one or something, and it's like you can't. We can't put us two on in a three hundred venue in Brighton. Yeah, we've got to think a bit bigger. Yeah. So then we ended up at the Brixton Academy. And then it's like, well, how do we make it a show? Because yeah. DJs didn't play venues like that in yeah. those days. I'm like, I've got to make it more of a show. And I, to this day, I do think it's one of the best shows we've ever put on. Because you had an actual boxing ring, right? We had an actual boxing ring that revolved. We had the we hired the guy who does it on the telly, like. Get ready to rumble. Yeah, yeah. We had him with a microphone that came down from the ceiling. We had me and Armand actually uh, wearing, having our own um, like robes. And we came on from opposite corners to our own theme tune. And we did the whole squaring off thing and the tossing of the coin. I mean, it, it was kind of sort of theatre yeah. verging on pantomime. It's really campy quite campy. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Yeah. And didn't the artwork look like that, the Warhol Basquiat artwork? Was that the reference? Like that sort of the. No, the reference was just a boxing poster. Right, right. And we and we actually did the press conference in, in, a, in a boxing gym in Brixton. And we like, did the whole sort of squaring off. We really tried not. To, to, doing that like face-to-face thing trying to, not to make each other laugh yeah but yeah no I'm, I'm still quite pr- proud of that because I don't think you know the sort of production values in terms of uh, bigger stages and, and L, things like Elro and that uh, have got sort of bigger and bigger but in terms of, of a really stupid camp idea of how to have two DJs having a, you know, a do it going back to back yeah I don't think that's ever been bettered that's amazing what do you have sort of a favourite venue to play Anywhere in the world, a club venue, um, like an old school night. Yeah, club. I love, I love, I've loved the the old Zap in Brighton. Okay, just because I've been playing it for thirty five years. Do you still do that now? And I still do. Yeah, I do. I do uh, at least once a year. We do. We, we do a charity night there, normally the week before Christmas, 
and um, there's something, there's a magic in that room. I suppose it's because it's it's got all the memories of before, the memories of me partying there as well as playing there. Mm. There's other clubs that I've gone and played, but I've only ever played there. I've never like partied there, but the Zaps can't part my bones because I've I've seen so many other DJs in there, and I, you know. I, well, he, until they refurbed it, I knew every inch and every corner and what goes on. And you know, don't you hate it when they refurbish a club and it like completely changes inside and it just feels too new? I don't know. Sometimes change is good. Yeah. And and most, to be honest, most DJ booths, if you see them with the lights on, they could do with a bit of oh, tying up. Disgusting. Yeah, like actual. Yeah, they're like, pretty scuzzy, aren't they? Yeah, it's like mould everywhere. <laughs> um, so let's talk about these five Fs. So yes, I've read somewhere that for a DJ gig to get over the line with your management, it has to fulfil. One of five Fs. So take us no, through. No, get three out of five. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. I'll, I'll, lower it to, I'll lower it to one or two if they're big fat Fs. But... Okay, let's go through them then. So. Okay, so it has to fulfill either uh, it's a first, something I've never done before. Yeah. It's a favour for a friend. Yeah. Uh, I know it's going to be fun. Yeah. Finance, obviously, if it's a big pay payer. Yeah. Yeah. We are all prostitutes and yeah, everyone has a price. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And fifth is food. If there's If there's a restaurant that I, I really like my food, and if there's a restaurant in a city that I've heard of, I will often get myself a gig in that city so as an excuse to go to that, has that anyone, restaurant. Has anyone ever fulfilled all five? Has yeah, anyone? I've actually got six out of five. No once. way! So is that, that's a mate with a restaurant it was, in the back it of was, the it was, uh It was um, Alex James and... Um, Jamie Oliver's yeah. foodie festival right. in wherever it was. I'd never played a food festival before. It was a favour for Alex and for James because I know them both. Yeah. The money was good. The food was good. And I knew it would be fun because it was like a kind of family festival. Yeah. And it's weird, bizarre because that was the one that my management really didn't want me to do. And so I, I, had, to pu- I, had, well, I had to pull the six Fs on them. I'm like, what, look, you got six, six out of five. What's the six F? No, no, there was there are only five, but obviously oh. there was two favors for friends. Right, right, so right. So it got right, six. Right. It got six out of five. That's the only way they let me do it. Got it. So lockdown has, has just happened. What are your What are your thoughts on streaming clubs and DJ shows online in lockdown? I saw you. I saw your show with uh, Idris Elba, which was great. How'd you find it? Uh, for me, that was the first one that worked. Uh, I mean, obviously doing it with my daughter was fun. And then I did one against a blue screen for that Shangri-La, um, Glastonbury oh, yeah. VR experience. That, yeah. um, and they were kind of all right. But the 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 the, the one with Idris, um, it just raised the bar because of the Zoom, because I could actually see the people in their living room. And I saw, I think Pasha had been doing it. I saw Scream and Pete Tong do one. And it's like that bit on Saturday night TV where they go and cut into your living room now. Yeah, yeah. And people's faces go, yeah. oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> yes, oh, yes. Best to have fun. And that is the kind of interaction that I have when I'm DJing. I always like to catch people's eye and then, yeah. and then have a little kind of moment with them or totally. actually have a visual gag with them or whatever. Yeah. And so we, yeah, we spent quite a lot of time working out how to do it and having the TV right beside so I could actually see the people who were there, see them having a party at home, send little messages to them. They could hold up messages for me. So and cool. that was the first time it felt anything like the actual DJ experience. Yeah. Which for me, the, the beauty of it is that conversation you have with the crowd. Well, it's, it's that, connection, isn't it? Yeah, through music yeah, that or connection. through being in the same room. Because otherwise, doing it streaming, standing there on your kitchen table, 
playing records and trying to picture being in a club totally. just doesn't work for me. I did maybe, some on, maybe um, I lack, em, lack imagination, but yeah. it just does not I did do some on um, Instagram Live and it's like, you just can't, without being able to see people there, you just, you're, you're like, am I doing this right? And you start to question yeah, you your get, job. you get really uh, self-conscious and you think, you know. Sweaty, so, sweaty up a yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, my face is melting. I'm like, I'm like really nervous. <laughs> yeah, so I, so I, yeah, so I've held on doing that, that. But I think, the zoom thing is the way forward because that makes people dress up and they actually can invite like eight people around to their place and have a load of mini parties and you feel like there's some kind of interaction. Oh, that, that, or I I just managed to play four times in Ibiza. I was there on family holiday and I managed to play twice at Ibiza rocks doing uh, socially distanced pool parties. Yeah. How and then that? twice at twice at Mamba. It's it's interesting. We, we had the, we, they invented the tagline, eat, sleep, stay in your seat. Love it. And basically, you had to stay in your seat and you, and you could do whatever you wanted at your own table or oh. in your own cabana or on your own, um, all the, the balconies of the hotel were watching you. So, it was just, again, it was a series of mini parties, but obviously I had more interaction. Sure. And that worked, but it kind of it only kind of works in, in with nice weather. Yeah. Yeah. How was it doing a pool party? Don't you get, um, don't the decks get splashed? I'd worry about some. Uh, they do if you really incite i mean i again this comes back to my style of dj and i i if i play in a pool party and i think there's a chance that they could actually fuse the decks the decks by splashing me i will try and in, encourage them to do that just yeah. to see if they can i'll be like come on <laughs> just get off early get off work early. well <laughs> most most places where they have pool parties they have that, like a kind of perspex bit over the front got it got it um i did one where i would i did it in the round in the middle of the pool and that was a stupid idea yeah bad idea yeah so what does um what does real life club culture mean to you? I mean, for me, it's like we were just talking about that sense of togetherness and community as well. Being being, um, you know, LGBTQ person, it's that, that, that real sense of getting together and sort of that community feeling. What does it mean for you? Exactly the same. Uh, I think the, the 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 power of that shared euphoria, that or that 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 community, especially. I mean, a lot of it stems historically from when we kind of it was a, a weird kind of thing it was like oh, there's people who don't go to bed at 11 when the pub's shut and you go through and listen to that weird music in those weird places and it really was kind of a, a different gang like a different community and when you when you're all put in the same room together all of a sudden you forget the outside world and you can just be together and be you and music is such a powerful conduit to bring everyone together, a loud throbbing music in the in 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 that kind of sort of contained community, something really really powerful and really beautiful happens. Do you think it's less about discovering new music now? You were saying when you first started out, you were bringing new music to. It crowd. kind of is, but only only because everyone's got access to it now. I mean, in those days, you 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 know, a DJ would drop a tune, everyone would just be running up to see what it was. It's like there was no Shazam, there was no other people you know blogging or 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 telling you about it so it was more i mean it was more fun in those days trying to find out what those records were and i uh i'm my i mean my only legitimate job in in the in my whole career has been working in a record shop and and i'd i would just see people coming in from the night out the night four and go what was that tune last night they went and and all that that's one of the reasons why my records sound like themselves it's like there has to be a hook line that you can sing in the record shop yeah some simple thing for to hum 
obviously you don't need that anymore with Shazam but in, in for all the way through I was just thinking that bit that if you went into Rounder Records the next day and went up to me and sung it would I be able to tell you what it was got it got it what's that little hook do you still test out music that you've just made to a dance floor are you self-conscious of that I'm actually so self-conscious this, these days I do it the other way around I will play it for ages in my DJ sets and if someone goes what was that what was that tune that you went and eat sleep wave repeat I'd go, well, it's just something I've been working on. And if, like, enough people have gone, I think, you know, that if enough people have, 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 have latched onto it or noticed it or told me it's good, then I'll release it. But I kind of do it that way around. How long would you hold on to a record for before you release it then? Years. Really? Yeah, I mean, well, I, well the, I'm not, not these days, I don't put many records out at all. Mm. And I kind of lost... I lost my love affair with making records right. and I've made so many over the years. Something happened. I just fell out of love with the process of making records. And, and also, just as you get older, you kind of lose your bottle a bit. So to put a record out, especially when you're known, if you put a record out and it tanks, it hurts these days. When, you, when I'm young and I put a record out, I didn't do well. I just thought, oh, fuck you. One day you'll get it, you know. Uh, but, but as I've got older... And more sober, I've kind of thought, oh, actually, that really hurt. The rejection really hurt. So nowadays, I mean, I don't feel I I have to put records out um, just for the sake of it. And so I only put one out when I really got a bee in my bonnet. And and that's if I've been playing it and everybody's gone, what is that? What's that one? Yeah. Normally it's some absurd hook line, <laughs> like all the ladies in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that, with uh, eats. Yeah, yeah. That's the same thing. I've been dropping that vocal. I did a version of it about three years ago and I've been dropping it into my live sets and eventually Dan was like, what is that sample you keep using? I'm like, well, it's a tune that I kind of been working on, but never quite finished. And, and Dan beat me up into finishing it. And uh, But yeah, no, I literally have to be dragged kicking and screaming into um, to put a record into making out. records these oh, days. Right. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah. And you were quite instrumental in the, um, in the Let Us Dance campaign. So I want to talk about the importance of club culture in Britain and what, what the dance floor really means uh, for this country. We've spoken about like, the culture and the sense of community already. What does it mean to you? Well, there's, there's a whole world of finance out there as well. If you want to appeal to your average Tory you know just tell them how much income british music generates and whether it's dj's or, or or live music you know we are we punch way above our weight in terms of of, of uh, exports and in terms of just how we're seen in the world and that's that's always been part of british culture and it's a reflection of, of the the lovely diverse culture that, that we've we've grown up in mm. and it would be a real shame for that to die there there you know we we need the smaller venues well we need all the venues mm. and i don't know which are going to fare worse as uh, the longer i mean there are barely barely any of those great small venues left as it is yeah but i mean it's going to kick but it's going to hit the big ones even harder because they're losing more every night and they probably have to they may have much higher rent so across the board venues you know, it, we don't know. We I'm under no illusions that that kind of what we do, especially as DJs, is we will be the last thing to be put back in place when 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 the 
the lockdown because we're the we the antithesis of social distancing we you know we go out of our way to do the exact opposite share as many bodily fluids as possible that's so we it could be a really long time and i think just think it's really important that that, that when when we do things do get back to some kind of normal there's still the venues in business yeah but how do you see the future of the club and festival scenes post covid looking like i don't know I, it occurred to me the other day that if this goes on for a couple of years there might be a generation that's kind of missed out because mm. you kind of had that coming of age i mean in these days it's so regimentally um id'd that you have to be 18 so between 18 and 20 they are your, your kind of your major clubbing years now if you just turned 18 and you lose those two years you might sort of bypass that or yeah you know 16 year olds when they come to be 18 they won't be killing to go to a club like it was so it could really hurt it but at the same time i think going out late at night and getting off your face and getting laid and getting high and talking rubbish and dancing is as old as cavemen and will always there will always be that primeval desire to escape yeah. and to do the things that we do in nightclubs yeah so i don't think it's kind of a fashion that will wear off i think some of the bigger ends of you know that edm sort of culture might might die off and obviously the, the a lot of the people involved in that were there for the money and and if, if they've lost their shirt on it they may have moved on yeah but the people who've been who who love the scene and are there for, for, for the love of it they'll still be there and then there'll still be another batch of 16 year olds who want to get high and get totally laid. and even with all these illegal raves that are going on around the country well around the world i mean it's not going to go away it's not that's an stop. indication yeah that's yeah. an indication it's a little worrying i mean maybe i'm showing my age here but i find that a little worrying because you know part of me is, is you know wants us wants this to end as quick as possible and you know trying to do my bit not to spread the infection and obviously going out and raving in the middle in a, even in a field in the middle of nowhere is still fairly irresponsible uh i could totally see what people's reasons for doing it but it could, sh- you know, if if it, if that did start spikes, and that would just prolong the agony for the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. Can we talk a bit about sobriety? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, you've been proudly clean and sober for uh, a long time now, so a lot of people assume drinking and partying goes hand in hand with being a, a DJ. What do you have to say to that? Uh, well, I I can totally understand that. I was one of those people. For, for many many years and even when I kind of knew that I, sh- I should give up I part of me was going well the thing is you've, you've got a career as a DJ you've never done it sober you'd probably be rubbish yeah you know and you, you owe it to yourself and to your career to carry on and that kind of enabled me probably for an extra year or so and then when when I did get sober I really was it was on the it was on the the understanding that this might be the end of my DJing career mm. uh, or the end of my musical career because I had always done everything instinctively as high as the audience. Mm. And I was, my first gig back when it's sober, I've never been so petrified in my life. Right. Literally, my kind of, I couldn't, I was paralyzed with fear. Yeah. I felt physically sick and just thought, you know, what if I can't do, you know, what if I can't do this anymore? And I was, I was um, happily surprised to find out even though I worked out it took me a while before I could dance again because I was so kind of self-conscious that the first thing that goes is your your hips just lock up yeah so I didn't dance so I changed my DJing style right. but I worked out 
I worked out that people didn't seem to mind whether I was off my nut or not. Right. And I was the only one really who noticed. Right. I also found out that I kind of get off so much on watching other people having fun i become part of it and and the energy as well that you get from people just really going for it yeah it's quite intoxicating the atmosphere when you're the dj sometimes when you're in the crowd and you know it's it's hard to get into it but when you're when it's all directed at you you feel you don't feel excluded yeah i guess djs do have that reputation of being party animals but maybe the person in control of the room and the dance floor shouldn't be the most fucked up person there well, yeah, I, I, I think probably one of the two. What you shouldn't be is pussyfooting about in the middle. Mm. Either be the most cane person in the room, leading from the front, <laughs> or be be the sober one. I mean, I, I kind of in that you know that that tradition of like uh, rolling drunks. <laughs> I don't mean this scathingly to my audience, but I, having been a drunk or having been drunk for 30 years, I know exactly what's going on in their head and I can push these little buttons. There you go. And Puppeteer. I know what happens. And yeah. it's they're, they're quite a malleable lot. Yeah. A master of manipulation is the DJ. Yeah, but, yeah. but I don't feel it's cynical because it's like, I only know what's going on in your yeah. head. Cause it's, it's your job. Bit still, yeah. Yeah. And I've, and I've done my, I did my research thoroughly for left no stone unturned yeah. for 30 years <laughs> to know what's going on. So, I mean, I, it, part of my, part of my job is, not to be in denial about what's going on in the room. It's to be, it's to be um, shepherding it, you know, mm. and kind of leading, leading people in places that I kind of figure they want to go. And I yeah. kind of, I've got my wits about me more that I know how, how to lead them there. I like that shepherding. That's cool. Do you, how do you stay focused and, and uh, where's, where's the stamina for not focused, but where's the stamina from? Like, are you, you're like a Red Bull fiend. I'm a, yeah, three Red Bulls yeah. before I go on. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your rider? What's your DJ rider? My DJ rider is six Red Bulls, some, oh, uh, hardcore. some fizzy water, yeah. two air horns, <laughs> two towels, yeah. and some uh, some market nuts. Oh, you're a cheap date. I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it, yeah. No Always Nobu, am. no nothing. <laughs> like a handful of nuts and like some kind of Red Bull. And he's on. <laughs> well, my, my 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 ritual before I go on, what turns me from Norman into Fat Boy, yeah, is I take off my shoes, I put on the Hawaiian shirt. My tour manager Al slaps me really hard across both cheeks, right, and then and then I'm on. What is that? That's like that's like so the slapping is just like doing a line. Three Red Bulls and two slaps around your face is pretty much like banging a line just before you go on. Bloody hell! Did, wow, is that what they taught you in rehab? <laughs> Couple of slaps <laughs> and a Red Bull. <laughs> they didn't teach that in rehab, but I would I would happily share that with <laughs> <laughs> share that within the fellowship. And why the bare feet? Just for comfort. I don't know. No, I I I think I dance better in bare feet. Right. Now some people might take issue on that. I don't know. It just it just again it helps me get outside myself. It helps me lose the shackles of being Norman. Got it. Have you ever DJed in a hill though, Norman? In a hill, mm. not like what? a hill, like a like a, a a small mountain, but is in a, in a high heeled shoe, and a heel. Sorry, yeah. not a hill. <laughs> Have I DJ'd in a heel? Mm, no, I've spent time in heels, but yeah. I've never DJ'd. Yeah, back in the day, back in the yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've all dabbled. Yeah, um, yeah, I've, I'm not very good in them. I'm kind of conti- I'm all right if I'm continually walking forwards, but if I try and stop. Then I just carry on going forwards in some shape or form, right? Which, when you're behind the decks, you don't really that's want to be not, doing. That's so not I, no, I definitely couldn't DJ in a heel. Okay, right, noted. 
Would you ever say you found um, love on the dance floor? Ooh. You can answer that however you interpret it. I've, I've found a kind of love. Mm. Probably not true love. Mm. But I've fallen, I mean, I've fallen in love with friends of mine. Uh, and again, probably certain stimulants were, were as e- was equally as, um, as, as responsible as the music was. Yeah, I can imagine. But I've had friends who I've just thought, I fucking love you. Yeah. And not in a kind of, you know, sort of like, you know, peeled up way. But I've, yeah, I've had evenings where I thought, but more more with friends rather than actual kind of lovers. Mm. Mm. But having said that, I've obviously, yeah, I mean, mm, I'm trying to think of all the loves in my life. And none of them I've, have I pulled on the dance floor. Right, interesting. Or even so met on a dance floor. You're there for, for the music and yeah, friends. Yeah, I'm probably more into the music. I'm probably a bit more interested in the D, watching the DJ than yeah. other other. Yeah. Who who are your favourite DJs? Who do you uh, who do you like to go out and support and see? Um, I love Carl yeah. Cox. He's yeah. just he. I, I kind of based my DJing style on him and John Carter. Yeah, John Carter's kind of bravado and showmanship, and and Carl's thing of just having more fun and and just getting into it more than everyone, just leading by example. And and but also his communication with the crowd. He spends the whole time just picking people out in the crowd and going, "How much fun is this?" You know, and they go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He's like, "Right, that's you know, that's how much fun we're having." So yeah, I, he's he just makes me smile. Yeah, you know, aside even if I wasn't listening to the music that he played, just watching him makes me smile because he just includes everybody in the party and has yeah. a continuing conversation all the way through. I saw a video. Was it his last night at Space or was it High? It maybe become High, but his last his last night at his IB. It was residency. probably the last night at Space. Yeah, yeah. and had, the tears and the, yeah. the emo- how emotional that was that that last night. Do you get to go out much when you're not DJing? Do you? Nah. No. I mean, I could. Yeah. But I, I, I I'm sure you could get guest lists. I'm sure, yeah, I'm yeah. sure I could, but I've got two kids and yeah. I, I do feel a bit old if I'm in the crowd. Yeah. I never feel old in the DJ booth, but if I'm in the crowd, sometimes I look down and think, hmm, yeah. yeah. I don't think there's an age limit to being a DJ either, is there? I think, I think. Um, like... I, I mean, the thing is, we never, we, none of us necessarily had to be like a boy band looks in the first place. Mm. So it doesn't matter if we get old or fat or bald or grey, mm. you know, because we, we, were, we were never supposed to be pinups. Yeah. And... In terms of fitness, all you have to do is be able to stand there and wave your arms around for two, three hours. Yeah. So it's not, we don't have that shelf life that like footballers, boy bands, TV presenters, you know, because we don't have to be pleasing on the eye and, and we don't have to stay that fit. So, yeah. I mean, all the, the only DJs I know who really, out of the, the really big lifer DJs, the only one I know who's retired rather than passing away was Danny Tanaglia. Oh. And he did it six months later. He's like, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just like, he's just like I can't, I've got to go back to it. I can't not do this. And he's still DJing now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he, he honestly really tried to retire. But I, I mean, and also, those of us who've been doing it for a few years, it's like, what the hell else are we going to do in our lives? Yeah. We're not qualified to do anything. We've got no sense of responsibility or, yeah. you know, we'd be useless at doing can't anything Can't get else, a job so. anyway. Can't, yeah, we're unemployable. Play, Rubbish play, CV. <laughs> like, can't do anything. <laughs> Where have you been the last 37 years, Mr. Oh, Cook? Oh, just hanging out, hanging out in nightclubs. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you could visit a club from the past that's not around anymore, what would that be? 
Ooh. I think I got, I like to go back to Sherry's oh, on really? a Wednesday night and yeah. and just see all those people. Because in those days, it really was quite an epiphany. If you'd never heard a DJ mixing before and if you'd never heard those tunes before, uh, it was a golden time for music because Electro had just started. There was this tune called Planet Rock, which just was changing the world. And there was all these all these gay records um, by Divine, mm, yes, Bobby Orlando. It was all these like weird electronic records, yeah. That also, and I, you know, you just didn't hear them anywhere well, else like in the high world. High energy records, yeah. Sped up disco, like one yeah. sixty BPM, but, <laughs> but really kind of druggy, electronicy sound. Yeah, with and Divine just, like going, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, this they live lovers wrestling son i'm just not satisfied oh yeah i just the excitement of all of us just hearing that kind of music for the first time and and seeing people like divine i saw divine played at at sherry's on and uh yeah and it all just being a a discovery obviously at that age you're always discovering sex and alcohol and drugs and all those other exciting fun things but hearing music that you'd never heard that sounded like it came from out of space, but also it came, it sounded like, Oh, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Um, yeah, I'd like to go back and, and watch. Yeah. I sat, I stand in, on the balcony. I'd watch my little face, my little 18 year old face. Oh, just revisit going, visit you as a, as a boy. Yeah. Check out if I was a shit hot dancer as I thought I was in those yeah. days. Yeah. You probably had <laughs> shoes on as well. Didn't you? In those days. I used to wear special like sort of soul boy, um, flat, flat, really slippy shoes. So I could do spins. Oh, now, now you live in a, you've got a beachfront house on the coast. So do you ever have like an epic house party or is it more like your daughter's throwing the parties now? She's 10, did you say? She's 10. Yeah, she, we get, we have, she's had a DJ at her party the last three years. Yeah. But not me. I'm not, not allowed. That <laughs> but I was allowed to DJ at my, my son's 18th. And that right. was a, that was a, that was a real big coming of age moment for me that my son finally admitted that I might be quite cool and some of his mates might quite like me. Got it. Because he'd yeah. been in denial. Obviously, dads are here to be embarrassing and I do try and do my best job. Yeah. But yeah. that was... Uh, but apart from that, no, I don't, I don't really party. I'm more of a, I'm more of an eater rather than a, than a drinker these days. And yeah. so... Yeah. Have you ever been to a house party like totally uninvited, like gate crash? Have you ever been a proper gate crasher? What, in... in yeah. And, over and, history? Yeah. Fucking yeah. millions of times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you ever been chucked out anywhere? I've been chucked out of many a party. Yeah, I've oh, I've done. Oh, I mean, in, yeah, back in my youth, I've done every horrible, nasty thing, thrown up in other people's houses and front gardens, and nicked things, and turned up with a bottle of, of vodka filled with water, so you'd get in. Then drunk that bottle of water, drunk half the bottle in one to impress a girl. When I first moved down to Brighton, I came to college down here when I was eighteen. And I used to go out six nights a week, mm. every week. Yeah, I think Sunday nights was the only night I didn't go out. Yeah, and then I started. Then uh, then there was a, a, a gay club on Sunday night, and I started going to that. So I was going out pretty much seven days a week. What was the gay club? It was called Bolts. Right, Bolts. Anyone who lives in Brighton will remember Bolts on a right. Sunday night. What was that like? Uh, really hardcore. That's where you heard the really heavy. Uh, yeah, uh, like the really heavy dubby tunes. Yeah, was that a bit like like trade or something? Yeah, yeah, probably about on a, a, a kind of forerunner to trade. Yeah. Um, 
but obviously to a uh, 18 suburban 18 year old who's, who's, who's never been to a club before it was just like whoa yeah <laughs> an eye opener it's, it's an education proper eye opener yeah, yeah. yeah I, saw, I saw some things that yeah <laughs> not many 18 year olds see not, not on video um, yeah no it's a proper hardcore hardcore gay club yeah and but, but great for tunes and, yeah. and obviously you don't you know you don't go partying in Brighton without ending up lured into that uh, that web of intrigue and sin totally yeah Uh, I'm going to fire some uh, like quick fire questions at you um, that I ask everyone. Okay. You're throwing a party. Who's on your dream guest list? Who are you inviting? They could be living or dead. Let's say three names. Is it, is it a party party or a dinner yeah. party? Yeah. Oh, no. It's a party, a party. party. It's a party, yeah. Party party. Um, oh, Christ. I don't know. Idris. Yeah. Elba. Yeah. Just because he's my sort of bromance at the moment. Yeah. And he likes to party. He's yeah. really funny. Yeah. Um, my old mate, Jim McNulty. Oh, yeah. Uh, who I used to party with for years and years and I hadn't seen for ages. And I just saw him again today. That's why he's forefront in my mind. Right. And okay. he used to make me laugh for days. Right. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I miss him. And, uh, oh, can I have, can I have some kind of sex interest absolutely 100 percent. absolutely uh, we've got to get you laid Halle Come berry Halle berry, Halle berry. There you go. she'll do yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll arrange that and who's the dj and what are they playing oh can't be you the dj is danny eats everything yeah love uh playing whatever the hell he wants perfect he knows what i like he yeah knows how to, he knows how to please me perfect Norman Cook, Fatboy Slim, this is your life of the party. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That was fun. This has been Life of the Party with me, Jody Harsh. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you haven't subscribed just yet, please do. There's a new episode every week. Right, see you at the next party. 